I want to take that as my text this morning from Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, beginning at verse 28. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 1030. Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, and beginning at verse 28. And this morning I want to talk about God's, what God's kingdom will look like when it comes and what to do until it does. What God's kingdom will look like when it comes and what to do until it does. Indeed, uh, that's what we have in our text, a glimpse of what the kingdom will look like when it comes. But to catch that, <laughs> we have to go back a few verses. In fact, if you would, go back with me to verse 22. And Jesus is speaking. When we compare the other synoptics, Matthew and Mark, uh, they're in the region of Caesarea Philippi, north of the Galilee, not far from Mount Hermon which I've seen with mine own eyes, about 9,000 foot elevation. When we, were in there, when we were there in March of 2014, there was still snow on top of it and even clouds at the top. But this is what Jesus said. Speaking of himself, he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And so he's talking ahead of time about his passion. And Jesus said to all, and if anyone would come after me, <laughs> if anyone would follow in my way, let him deny himself, let him say no to himself and take up his cross like I have mine daily and follow me. Verse 24, for whoever would save his life, who would say no to me to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. In verse 27, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Listen again. But I tell you the truth, there are some standing right here listening to me say what I'm saying who will not taste death, who will not die until they see with their own eyes the kingdom of God. And then we come to our text. Verse 28. And now about eight days after these things, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Peter, James, and John were Jesus' inner circle, if you like. There were 12 apostles. They represent 25% of it. And he did things with them that he didn't do with the others. He took them on special little trips and did, did miracles that none of the other disciples saw. You remember that he took them on the night that he was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and he had the twelve and then, but he took Peter, James, and John. He said, come with me and come pray with me, right? You remember when he came, every time he came back, remember they were asleep. Couldn't you watch with me for one hour? And so it's Peter, James, and John, the inner circle that he takes on this retreat, if you will, up on the slopes of Mount Hermon. He took them on this mountain uh, as a retreat, I suppose. Jesus was wont to pray on mountains. If you read the Gospels, he's always going away on a mountain. Uh, 
oftentimes at night, oftentimes all night he prays on the mountain, but, all, but most often he, he does it alone. But here, this time, he decides to take the inner seeker with him because um, he knows something special is going to happen. In verse 29, Luke tells us, and as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothes, as we have it in the English Standard Version, became dazzling white. In the uh, New English Translation, or the new, and also the New uh, Living Translation, uh, we have uh, Jesus' face was transformed. Um, his clothes became dazzling white, we're told. Literally in the Greek, it, it, it means that his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. It made me think of a verse that the writer to the Hebrews wrote in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. The writer to the Hebrews wrote, and Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. <laughs> and the exact imprint of his nature. What you think you might see if you were to be in the presence of God, that's on display now in the person of the eternal Son. And Luke says in verse 30, And behold, and two men were talking to him, talking to Jesus. In particular, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in the glory that's radiating from him. And they spoke with him of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Moses is the great lawgiver. Jack was just talking about him and this interesting sort of parallel that when Moses went in and when, and when he was on the mountain to receive the law, it was almost like Moses had been exposed to radiation, the presence of God. And when he turned to the people, his face was, looked like it was on fire. It was a glow. And then Moses used to cover it up so that the people wouldn't say, see it fade. But that, was a, that, was, that wasn't a, a glory radiating out of Moses. It was something that was soaked in by Moses because it was radiated from God. And something different is happening here. But Moses is the great lawgiver. He appears. And Elijah, the great representative of the prophets. And they both appear with Jesus. And Luke tells us that they were chatting together. <laughs> Indeed, Jesus spoke to them of what we have in the English of his departure. It literally in the Greek is his exodus, his leaving, if you like. Probably a reference to his death, his resurrection, and very important in the writings of Luke, his ascension. In fact, Luke is the only gospel writer that mentions the ascension. He mentions it at the, at the end of his gospel in chapter 24, and then, of course, he mentions it in the first chapter of the book of Acts, Jesus' ascension, which, in fact, the death, resurrection, and the ascension all happen at Jerusalem. Notice again, verse 30, And behold, the two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which Jesus, he was 
about to accomplish at Jerusalem. In fact, in this same ninth chapter, you come to verse 51 and you read this, and when the days drew near for him to be taken up, <laughs> when the days drew near for him to ascend, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Why? Because at Jerusalem he would suffer. At Jerusalem he would die. At Jerusalem he would be buried. At Jerusalem he would ascend. And Luke says in verse 32 that Peter and those who were with Jesus were heavy with sleep, which suggests that it was a night event. So you can imagine the, 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 the brightness of... I mean, it's bright enough during the day. But seemingly it happened at night. And um, Luke says uh, that they became fully awake. I suppose they did. And saw Jesus' glory and the two men who stood with him, Moses and Elijah. Verse 33, and as the men were parting or leaving, I guess they finished their discussion, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good to be here. Master. Of course, Peter was always the one who was always talking. And uh, the, extra, the uh, ex extrovert part, excellent. And he says, Master, it's good for us to be here. And then he says, let's make three tents or tabernacles or, or shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Temporary shelters uh, to be made from branches and bushes or whatever else might, foliage that might be found there on Mount Hermon. And presumably, Peter was wanting to extend the experience. Let's stay here. Let's build shelters for you. <laughs> and you can stay in them, and we'll stay up here, uh, which also uh, might have been uh, 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 influenced by what Jesus had said when they were down uh, and hadn't gone up the mountain yet, that Jesus was going to suffer, and you must suffer with me. <laughs> Let's hold off on that, Lord. Let's stay up here on retreat. And in, in this suggestion of his, uh, that they make three shelters, one for Jesus and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Peter seems to, uh, to be su suggesting uh, an equality between Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And, and in fact, in Peter's own mind, he, he might have thought that uh, he was actually honoring Jesus by saying that. You know, you're as, you're as great as Moses and, and Elijah, and so let's make um, shelters for all three of you. As, but as Luke said, uh, Peter didn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> which, which, uh, and what happens next makes that clear because God the Father clearly sets Jesus apart from Moses and Elijah. Indeed, notice beginning at verse 34, and as Peter was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid in fact, when the presence of God comes, oftentimes the, the human response is fear. Like, what is going on? As Peter was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. And then a directive, an imperative. Listen to him. It's reminded me again of what the writer to the Hebrews wrote in chapter 1 of his letter. 
Hebrews chapter 1 and beginning at verse 1, where he writes, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers, our ancestors, by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, not lawgivers and prophets, but by his Son. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers, our ancestors, by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom also he created the worlds. Jesus isn't just a lawgiver or a rabbi or a prophet. He's the Son of the living God. He's the creator of all things together with the Father and the Spirit. And Luke concludes in verse 36, And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. Moses and Elijah, where do they go? They go back to paradise to await the coming of the kingdom, I suppose. And they, Peter, James, and John, Luke tells us, kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Of course, they didn't keep silent forever. <laughs> We're reading what they told and talked about. Indeed, they were the ones who Eventually would be that those who would provide the information for Luke's gospel. In fact, Peter speaks specifically in one of his letters about this, this particular event. In 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 16, this is what Peter wrote. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We were, we were blown over by it. We saw this with our very eyes. We were asleep, and how could we stay asleep? When we opened our eyes, we couldn't believe what we were beholding. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when, we re when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And so what we commonly refer to as the transfiguration, in it we get a glimpse of what the kingdom will be like when it comes. And it is n no one less than God the Father who, himself who tells us what we're supposed to do in the meantime. Notice again verse 35. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. I wonder, do you listen to him? 
And are you doing what he said? But God's kingdom will look like when it comes and what to do until it does. Let us pray. Lord, what did what must it have what must it have been like to hear his voice? The voice of your son. The voice of your son in human flesh. What sort of voice did he have, Lord? The apostles could have described it. They could have described the twinkle in his eye. They, they did describe for us something of what they experienced of him on the Mount of Transfiguration. In the meantime, we have their testimony, a testimony for which almost all of them died, and who said, we can't keep silent about the things we've seen and heard. And so we don't know what his voice sounded like, but we know what he said. Give us grace, Lord, to listen and to obey. As Jesus said in another gospel, if you love me, keep my commandments. Or as he said to Thomas, Thomas, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And so while we might think it um, a, a weakness or a less than it might be, a deficit. The Lord Jesus said, now, even if you haven't seen me, you are blessed if you believe in me and you listen to me and you do what I say. You will belong to me in my kingdom should you do those things. Help us to do it, Lord. Help us to do it. I pray in his name. Amen.